Good morning. How's your weekend going? I don't believe that for a minute. Whatever you said. Welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name's Jason. Hey, if you're new here, if this is your first Sunday, guess what? You stepped in on the week that we do family worship. All the kids are in, so that's a little bit of a different thing that we do. But as Pastor Johnny Reeves said, one of the things we want to communicate to our kids is that you belong to the family of God. Um, and the church has a history of always pushing kids out. We understand the practical reasons for that, but we're not going to be practical today. So they're in here. Um, and so, hi kids, how you guys doing? Mm, yeah, they're like, he's weird, mom. I know it. I know it. Hey, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. We read it. We've been in the Christ hymn, as Pastor Reeve mentioned. This is the gravity for Paul. This is the center of his universe. And if we can import that into our lives for just a minute, um, we live in a world of ongoing conflict, bad news, shifting circumstances. Somewhere deep inside every single one of us, we want something that goes right and stays right. We do that. We want something like that. We want something that helps us to make sense of suffering and chaos, some of it which we experience and some of it that other people experience. We want something that makes sense of that. And ultimately this, we want to know how our story ends. We could endure a lot if we understand or are convinced of how our story is going to end. Well, Paul's story was firmly planted in the story of Jesus. His humiliation, which we learned last week, and today, his exaltation. This changed how he lived. No matter what, his life would be about telling the gospel, even jail. This changed how he died, because in his own words, to die is gain. And also, more important, well, maybe not more importantly, but right here, right now, this changed how he experienced joy. He learned to experience joy in this story, in this way, by serving others, by giving his life away. And he was teaching the Philippian church, who, oh, by the way, was wondering, you know what? We're experiencing heat for this gospel message. We have people that are walking back into our church that are, are teaching us things that you didn't, Paul. To be honest with you, we're wondering if we can even endure. We're wondering if this is worth it. Because if we follow Jesus like you tell us to, we're wondering if we ourselves may not end up in the same circumstance you are. I don't know that we, we want to do that. So as we walk into this text today, check this. What is your life orbiting on? What is the gravity in your life? Um, where is your story planted? We're going to talk about the exaltation of Jesus today. If this is just some weird doctrine that Jesus somehow floated up to heaven and I guess we'll see him someday... There's got to be more. Here's what Paul wants you to see. Here's what God wants you to see. He wants you to see the exaltation of Jesus as your win. If truly, if faith unites you to Christ, not just in his humiliation, not just in his death, then your faith also unites you to his exaltation. That his position is also for you and you experience that. So, yeah, we want to go there today. Um, let's just pray together, and we're just going to walk through the second half of this hymn together. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, um, already it sounds abstract. Already, as we read your words, as we say this, I'm struggling 
to explain what I know. That you are at the right hand of the Father Jesus and presently interceding for us. And there's a reason for all of this. So our prayer this morning is as we humbly and eagerly come before you, that you would use your word to teach us what it means that your exaltation is our win. Would you do that, Jesus? So we submit this to you in the name of Christ. Amen. So because Jesus is exalted, because he's the exalted king, that's a better way to say it. Um, Because of that, you and I get to experience full and final salvation. How are we going to do that? A lot of times when we walk in faith, the last thing we feel like is that we're put together or that we are saved. In fact, many times we'll understand the gospel as well. Okay, I understand it. I believe it. So I'm adding some good things to my life, but they don't really stick to me. And it's really hard to do it. That doesn't really... That's not how the gospel works. As we saw in the Christ hymn, there's a death. God doesn't really add things to your life until you die, until the things in your life, as a friend mentioned to me today, like pride, have to die first before you can become humble, right? We have to let go of things that we love dearly many times, scripture calls it sin, before God recreates us before we can walk and step with the spirit like he wants us to. But because Jesus is exalted, we get to experience that full and final salvation. So let's walk through that. How? First, Jesus is king because God exalted him. The first part of the hymn was Jesus did this. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It was all about what Jesus did and was good and right. Now, the second part of the hymn, verse 9, is all about what God the Father does to God the Son. How does God react on what Jesus has done? So Jesus is king because God exalted him. Right there, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So here's a question. Why did God exalt Jesus? Well, it seems like the right thing to do, right? I don't think you'd argue with me. But why did he do it? Because listen to how this sentence is structured. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He's given him a name above every name. So what, what is going on here? Well, let's, this is why. We read it last week. Because Jesus willingly gave up his privileges, the privileges he enjoyed as the second person of the Trinity, being God the Son. He gives up those privileges. Doesn't give up being God. And he takes on flesh, lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. He grows in wisdom through long, mundane obedience to God the Father, even to this death on a cross, meaning that he just didn't die. His death was awful. He absorbs or takes on God's wrath towards us. So he does this and he gives up his blessing of his title to take on our curse. He shares in everything that we share in except our sin. Push pause. Man, I struggle to give up. We talked about this last week. We, we struggle to give up our place in traffic or in line at the grocery store. Kids, maybe you struggle to let your brother or sister play with your toys because, well, it's yours, right? So we, we struggle to share and to give or to not walk in what belongs to us. Jesus gives this up, and that's the definition of live. love. What are you willing to give up? So this is a measure of God's love. So why did God exalt Jesus? 
he willingly and lovingly gave up everything for you. And let that weight hit you. When you believe that, it changes everything. And not only you, for us, and not only for us, for all of creation. So this is why God the Father exalts God the Son publicly. How did he do it? So we know why he does it. How does he do it? Well, he's highly exalted. Um, I, I don't know how to explain this any better. Jesus is, is, is in a class. There's no class to compare him to. He's in a station in his exalted state that we, there's nothing to compare him with. He's bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So God the Father has gifted and rewarded God the Son, or Jesus, a name that's above every name, every title, every ruler, every nation, every position. He's above it. Well, what is that name that God the Father gives to God the Son? Well, it's not Jesus. He gave him that first, right? He came into the world as Jesus. It's this. A victorious Messiah. Remember, Jesus is born as the anointed one or the Messiah, but you know, he wasn't the first person that had that title. There was a host of messiahs that came claiming that we, I would remove the bondage from Israel. I will take care of business. I am God's rep. Jesus got it done. So his name is Lord or victorious Messiah. He comes into the world as the anointed one, but he leaves the world as the victorious Messiah. Meaning this, he successfully defeated the enemy of God's people, sin, Satan, death. If you're looking for confidence in this exaltation, you need to find it in his completed work. I mean, you normally don't have confidence, do you, unless you can get something done, unless you have the skill to compete, unless you have a track record of success. That's right. How does the saying go? Winning is the only thing. It's kind of true. Jesus wins. He is victorious here. He overcomes sin, Satan, death. He successfully leads his people out of bondage. He purchases for his people He purchases from every tribe, tongue, and nation a people that will share his reign and serve to enjoy God and worship him eternally. Do you feel that? Let's, Let's flip it for a minute. We're looking at it from earth down. I mean, we're looking at it from our perspective. Listen to how heaven sees this. Look at it from a different vantage point. Revelations 5. And no one in heaven or on the earth, or under the earth, picking up the terminology, was been able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Nobody can get this done. There's nobody here that has the authority or the ability to write what is wrong. This is what John is writing in Revelation. And then one of the elders of the heavenly beings came and said, weep no more. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Going on, he says this, worthy are you, that's Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This is what this looks like from heaven's vantage point. This is what it looks like that God has exalted Jesus. 
He's victorious. He's completed it. He's done it. So names open doors for you. Let's just be honest. Are you a name dropper? Yeah, you are. Just, just shake your head. Yeah, I'm a name dropper. Now, some people do it to an obnoxious level. Let's just be honest. But what do names give you? They give you access. Listen to this quote from Sam Alberry. He's a pastor and an author. He says, hey, when you're in a family gathering or a school reunion and you feel intimidated about being surrounded by those who don't believe in Jesus and it feels awkward to declare your faith, know this, you're not putting Jesus somewhere where he does not belong. If all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus, there is nowhere that is out of bounds for him. So when it comes to his exaltation, this is your win. This is your win. Without the exaltation, we would be in trouble. So yes, let's, let's drop this name because Jesus is the exalted king. You and I get to experience full and final salvation. Yes, Jesus is king first and foremost because God has exalted him. God has vindicated him. God has put him on a public stage and said this. He's overcome. Secondly, Jesus is king right now, right here. Now, the first part, yeah, we can believe that. But, but what about now? Is Jesus king here? Somebody give me an answer. Is Jesus here right here right now? In Arlington? Clarendon? Well, forget about Clarendon. Just Arlington? Is Jesus king right Seriously, is he? Where's his kingdom then? All right, how does Jesus rule? Yes, Jesus is king right here, right now. How does he rule? Well, Ephesians 1 says that he's, God has seated him at his right hand, far above every rule and authority, power and a dominion, above every name that is named. Jesus rules this way. Legitimate, absolute authority. Unchecked power. Remember, Scripture kind of teaches us that he, he's the creative agent of the Trinity. He's creator. He's sustainer. He also rules with this. Patience, love, kindness, mercy, gentleness, and justice. He doesn't suffer sin. He either bears that sin himself or destroys it. Right? This is how he rules. So what does his kingdom look like? This is important for us to remember. The kingdom of God looks like this. Well, before we get to what it looks like, think of it this way. The kingdom of God exists even here, wherever the Holy Spirit is present in power. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, when the Spirit of God is present and something changes or someone changes, even as, as simple as, you know, I actually believe this, or a desire changes, or a community is built among people that wouldn't be in the same room other than they belong to Jesus. When the Spirit of God is present and something changes, maybe somebody loves their wife well, or they love their kids well, or they share the gospel, or they actually consider another person as more significant than them. When God actually grips someone and the grace of God pushes someone or recreates someone, that's where the kingdom of God is active. Yes, to be said, there's nowhere on this earth in this universe that does not belong to Christ King. But his kingdom's active or his spirit's moving and people are responding. So what does it look like? Well, it's invisible. There's no borders. That's a good thing. 
There are no borders in the kingdom of God. I mean, you heard it, Revelation 5. Tribe, tongue, nation, people. It's visible, though, when it unifies people. People who are together bowing the knee to Christ. Well, what do you mean? Our priorities together line up with God's priorities. His word becomes not just our law, but our delight. And we together want to honor him, right? We're humble. Love is the ethic. We love God and love others. And King Jesus rules. Even in our or your suffering and our death. Even our suffering and our death have to submit to God's plan, the plan of Christ to both bless you and transform you. It doesn't get free reign in God's universe because Christ is king. For instance, everybody loves diversity, don't we? We're holding it up as a cultural value. and That's redeemable. That's wonderful and that's good. I'm just going to throw this out there. You guys are just not usually willing to pay the price for it. We want it, but it kind of gets in the way of our life. For example, there's kids talking right now. That's kind of diverse. Am I honest with you? It's, it, there's racial diversity. There's social diversity. There's age diversity. There's all kinds of diversity in God's kingdom. And it all belongs. And it all enhances and increases worship. And it's all good. And he loves it. But if we're going to be serious about a unified diversity in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to die to things and give up on some of your preferences, even in our church. We want to get in line with how Jesus likes to rule. And yes, he is king right here and right now. When Jesus stops being king here, we stop being a church. We stop being a church. So yes, he rules. Friend, how can you lack confidence? Can I just throw this out here? How can we lack confidence in life when you know, you know, it's the exalted king who fights for you? There's a lot of reasons to lack confidence in life. But this should be the truth that your life orbits on. And this, lastly, if Jesus is your king, if you're trusting in him, your story ends in glory. Like it doesn't feel like it, pastor, it doesn't. Here's one thing I want you to pick up out of this text. There are a lot of stories in this room in fact, there's a lot of stories in this world. True? One ending. Do you see this? It doesn't really matter who you are or if you know Jesus or not. Listen to the ending. Verse 10. So that God has highly exalted Jesus above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, everywhere. There's nothing outside of his reign. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This isn't just for Christians. When Jesus is publicly revealed, when he wraps up history, everybody's going to worship. For some, it's going to be a blessing. For some, it's going to be a curse. This is how our story ends. If you listened last week to what the text was really telling us to do, to give your life away, 
If you really live like that, you lose a lot. If you're in Christ, you need to know every act of faith, everything that you lose because of the gospel, every time you get rejected, you will be absolutely vindicated. Like, well, that's not why I'm a Christian. Okay, good. I hope you're a Christian because you find just God beautiful and you want to worship him. It matters. It may not matter to us too much who have a lot. You know what matters to you? Some of my friends, little kid friends in India, who are never going to have much, and it matters to them. It matters that vindication happens. It matters that God the Son was vindicated publicly through the ascension and the exaltation to the right hand of the Father and his ruling and his reigning. And we know that because he poured the Spirit of God out onto his people. That vindication matters. And Jesus gives it. And that allows us to show off God's glory through the way we live, through our story. And even Jesus is doing it to glorify God the Father. So as we seek to do this together, we are actually telling his story. The story continues on. That we're showing off the glory of God. See, if Jesus is your king, this is how your story ends. In glory. You love it. You want his return. Jesus does not come back humble. I just need to tell you that. Right? He comes back as a victorious savior. Friend, I know I've said this a million times. If you come to this church, you've heard it. You can get in on this. If Jesus is your king, this is not only how your life ends, it's how it starts. We pray in Jesus' name a lot, don't we? We always kind of tag that on. We were taught to do that through scripture. That's good. But do you know when you repent or when you give your life to Jesus, when you trust in him, when you pray in his name, do you know what you're doing? Did you know that this is an aggressive yet humble act of joy by which the name of Christ, the victorious Messiah, gives you access in real time to the throne room of God? Because you're resting on the work of Jesus Christ, the Son. And so you long for him to return. This is what we mean when we say we're praying in Jesus' name. You are resting on him. It's a humble act, but it's joyful, and it puts you in the throne room. God means for you to see that. He exalted Jesus that you and I might experience this in real time. Now, we live in the here and now. I mean, we it's here now, but it's not yet. You experience pain, disappointment, suffering, desires that are unfulfilled, desires that you don't want yeah, right? We're learning to die to that by the Spirit of God and be alive to God. And honestly, it's one of the most painful things you're ever going to experience. But together, we walk this out and we trust in the risen King. So is this exaltation of Jesus, is, is this the ultimate win for you? In other words, is this where you get your confidence and can you actually stop living in fear and walking in faith? That's the easiest way to see how much this means to you. And it's hard, 
right? And we are called ambassadors of this king. Well, I thought Jesus was meek and mild. He is. But meekness is tempered strength. You can trust him. He's, if you will humble yourself and come to him, he's not out to prove you, to teach you a lesson or to. He took on what you deserved that he might give you as a gift to God the Father. Want that. Give your life to him. Let him take on your sin and walk in this. Because Jesus has exalted him, this can be yours. This is us. This is who we are. We're ambassadors of the risen king. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, You don't just give us everything that we need, Lord. You show us over and over and over who we are to you, how much you love us, how much you've given for us. Even now, Lord Jesus, as your scripture teaches us, you're at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us in ways that we don't even understand. My prayer is that you would make your presence blatant, that we'd worship you as the exalted king, that we would surrender our lives to you, that we would join you in giving glory to God the Father. Would you bless us that way? And we lift all this up in your name. Amen.